On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Marillion's Less Is More, Besides Themselves, and a little bit of remixitosis. And welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock groups album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I am joined by my friend Ken Gregory. And based on some advice from one of our listeners, we went back into the Marillion catalog and we have a fairly in depth discussion of Marillion's Less Is More. And we follow that up with a little bit of discussion about Marillion's Beside Themselves and perhaps even less discussion about the, uh, the remix album, Remix Tosis. palaver ourselves tonight. Um, I guess Paul is feeling extraordinarily under the weather, and Tom is is out earning a living. However, this is an exciting night because um, we had not originally intended on covering the Marillion album Less Is More, and that was a sort of conscious decision at the beginning uh, because Less Is More is you know, it's, I don't know what exactly you would call it. It, it is a studio album, but it's, it's a studio album of songs that had previously been released on other albums in the Hogarth era, although done in a, an entirely different form. And so, honestly, I had just made the decision since I had not heard that record, um, and it seemed like old news to not cover it. So it, it really wasn't even on our original list. However, you know, as luck would have it, we had, um, we had someone who's been listening to the palaver and asked us specifically if we were going to cover this. And, you know, when your listening audience speaks up, you should probably pay attention. And I'm actually glad that we did because I don't know that I would have you know, gotten around to this for quite some time if we hadn't to do this album. And, you know, while I haven't spent as much time with it as I would like, um, I was, I was fascinated as I, as I started to listen to this. So on, on this episode, we will, uh, we will cover less is more. Um, I do think, you know, if we have the time and, and the will, that uh, I would like to at least talk about the uh, besides themselves and and remixitosis especially. Not that I expect us to get really deep into that, Ken, but I, I 
I, I'm looking for a couple of Lancers in some areas that things I just don't understand. <laughs> okay. So, so that's what we're looking forward to, to uh, tonight. And so we can start out, I guess, with you know, with the, the standard intro for this. So, it was released in 2009, it was released on Intact Records. And I guess it had a, a distribution deal in certain area, areas with Edel Music. Um, not really sure about that. And oddly enough, on the Wikipedia page, there is no producer listed. I'm going to assume it's probably the band themselves. Mm. But um, no producer is listed where normally there is a producer. Um, so in terms of this, there was... There was a a lot of live albums that the band released um, between Happiness is the Road and Sounds That Can't Be Made. They released, you know, I'm I just um, looking at it here. I, it's like probably a half a dozen or more live albums in that in that in that time span and this was right smack in the middle of it so you know that was it, it was i i don't really know i haven't heard a lot of these albums so i'm not really sure you know what what inspired them to release all these live sets um and and maybe at some point you know when we have nothing else to talk about we can go in and, and look at some of that but so that's sort of the time frame that we're talking about here. And the blurb, such that it is. Okay, but you, you're referring to, it looks like live from Lori and recital of the script. Yes. And there's also um, early stages. Oh, my goodness, the box sets. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So there, there was a lot... Uh, there was a lot going on there. And I want to say, um, looking at this, where is it now? Yeah, and there was a singles collection after that. And then sounds that can't be made. So in 2008 and 2009, they, they just, you know, I, I guess they had some time on their hands. And they went through, you know, a lot of the recordings that they had and released a bunch of stuff. I, I don't really know. So... In your defense, that's maybe why you miss some of this. It was just information overload at the time. Yeah, yeah. There was, uh, yeah, there was just a lot going on. So the, the blurb says, Less is More is an acoustic studio album by Marillion released on the band's own label on 2 October 2009. A retail version is distributed by Edel Music, so there's your difference. It contains rearranged songs from the period that Steve Hogarth has been their singer since 1989, plus the previously unreleased track, It's Not Your Fault. Despite some positive reviews, the album did not chart in the UK. So there you go. Yeah, it's hard to chart when you've got that much stuff going on at one time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and it's you know it's difficult to to ascertain, you know what, where are you going to spend your money? Yeah. If, if you're if you're a consumer and you've got a band releasing, you know six seven titles in a year, you know where are you where are you going to spend your money? 
Right. And as we covered previously, you know, uh, uh, by, by, by that point, you, uh, you know, had, had, had invested in Marillion. You believed in, you know, what they were doing and you had uh, loved marbles and uh, they kind of got knocked off your feet with somewhere else. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So so then it, it's tough just to dive into all the random live stuff. But, you know, I guess some people did. I, I guess they did. And, you know, like I said, so now when, when this came up, you had mentioned, Ken, that when we had started this little journey of ours doing this podcast and starting out with Marillion months ago, what did we start recording back in March, maybe? You had, you, you told me that you had listened to this like, you know, 10 times in the beginning of all of this, or maybe it was throughout, I'm not exactly sure. So I'm I'm curious to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, did you know what this was? What were your thoughts when you first heard it? And, you know, what what was your experience? Yeah, my guess is that the American Spotify is limited from the European Spotify. Um and 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 we don't have so many rarities. So the rarities stood out to me. Okay. You know, there are a couple instead of, you know, an overwhelming dearth of, of uh, live albums. And, and, and I was drawn just to the acoustic sound. I mean, if you told me, you know, that, that, that show in Texas was all acoustic... Maybe I would be, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe I would have had that plane ticket that we, you know, talked about. Um, right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really love what I caught on YouTube of H Natural. I really like this album. Uh, and, and, and hopefully they, they do more of it. Hopefully they do a little bit of it in the States. Uh, it was definitely the, the acoustic nature that pulled me in. So, you know, and, and it's interesting because I had known, obviously, about the, the H Natural shows, but I had never heard one. I've, I've never listened to any of his releases as H Natural. I've never gone to a show. Um, but that was, you know, I, as I was listening to this, I, I just jotted down a couple of notes and... But one of the first things that stood out to me was how great Hogarth's voice sounds on this particular recording. It, it seems like, you know, and, and we've talked, obviously, through all the other records. And, you know, we've talked about live shows. And I don't know if it's a production thing or it's, you know, a strictly a voice thing, but... You know, Steve doesn't always sound as as great as other times, but I was I was struck by how good he sounded on this. It just it seemed it just seemed to work out for him, um, and which made me much more interested in these Age Natural shows. I'm like, wow, must what must that be like? Yeah, I I feel like I have a. a you know, an experience with his voice that's in the same room. You know, it's a conversation. Um, I, I, I'm still amazed at um, 
the difference in what I experienced at the Keswick Theater Live at the Fully Amplified Rock Show and then buying the board recording after, um, it was a really smooth uh, live performance in my estimation. There's a little more gravelly on the board recording. And um, I almost don't, you know, <laughs> I don't want to dig too deep because it's just wonderful either way. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, thinking about how this whole thing works for him, you know, and recently, just, just this week, when, when, when he was blogging to his fans, he, you know, he, he was you know, talking about, you know, the quality of his voice and, and wanting to, to deliver and how that, you know, motivates him. And, uh, the acoustic show takes away the uncertainty. It's just, you know, closer, uh, you know, less of an obstacle, you know, to scream over the drums and whatnot. Um, so, right. yeah, <laughs> your fans aren't so goddamn far away and it's not so loud and <laughs> you, you can just be yourself, I guess. Maybe, maybe that's the appeal. Um, yeah, nonetheless, uh, th this particular collection of, of songs is brilliant. And uh, one of the theories I came up with in preparation for our chat was they're really not that different from the albums. You know, it's easy to make the case, oh, my God, it's acoustic, it's crazy, it's off the wall. But, <laughs> you know, and some of these, you, you can make the case that the apple doesn't fall far uh, far from the tree so, so that's what i'll be uh highlighting as as we go go explanation yeah. point so yeah well, well played ken <laughs> yeah do, do, so do you do you have any thoughts on marillion's lead track go exclamation point to lead off the less is more album so the very first thing i want to say as i started listening to this and I had this experience multiple times as I went through this album. My first inclination was to not like it. Wow. It was, I, I, I was like, what's the point? Why are we doing this? Um, where, you know, where is this going? But invariably, by the end of the song... I was, I was convinced. I was on board, and and I think and and you know the 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 guy who who brought this up to us specifically pointed out you know a couple of these tracks from from dot com. I think he pointed to Interior Lulu. Um, you know those the the tracks in those albums that had certain drawbacks to them either through the, the production or whatever the case may be, you know, I, I think they get, uh, you know, it, it's, it's almost redemptive in, in this particular environment because I, there's, they translate better here is, is how I kind of thought about it initially. Like each individual song may have ended up here because they needed that second life? It, it may very well be. And, and I would be curious to know, you know, what, what 
how did they decide to do this? Like, was was this, you know, was this something that they would just sort of do at band practice? You know, like bands are, are want to do, just sort of noodle around with their songs, and they said, hey, this is great, let's do this, or, you know, and, and that's an interesting concept. If we ever get to, uh, to interview Hogarth, we'll have to ask him. Um, <laughs> but did they have sort of the same experience with that, that middle section that we had and and like you said maybe they were wanting you know to sort of revisit that a little bit i don't know it, that's a really good question but i you know and, and so when i think about it you know the the songs like i said from from dot com and um anarachnophobia i think benefit from this and the songs from Afraid of Sunlight, which I'm so in love with that album, I think I view this treatment as almost unnecessary. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. When I say the apple doesn't far, fall, fall far from the tree, um, upon listening to uh, Out of This World, just, you know, in the car... At one point, I forgot I was listening to Less Is More. I was ju I just realized I was listening to Out of This World. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that happened to me on a couple of these. If you if you listen to it, you know, like I said, ten times, it just all blends together, and you forget the song has different versions. So uh, in some cases, maybe they were unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah, but but it, it but at the same time, it wasn't. Like I said, I, it's not like I didn't enjoy it. I, I, I look forward to listening to this album quite a lot more. Um, you know, because I remember when we were talking about, you know, these albums, I, I want to say we spent a lot of time discussing, you know, the merits of Go, if I recall correctly. And, you know, I, I thought this version, you know, came across as... In, in some ways, a little bit more powerful, a little bit more immediate, which was cool. And we also talked, uh, you know, I, I think we talked a little bit, and, and it may have been you, Ken, on that episode who brought up Interior Lulu. It was either you or Tom. And, you know, Interior Lulu is one of the... It, on on .com, it's almost sprawling, and, and there's, you know, a lot going on. But but here, it's it's almost more focused, I think, and and digestible, if that's the right word. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, as a collective, we, we we didn't embrace Interior Lulu in the original recording as you know we would have liked. It was either you know too long or too weird or not personal enough. There was something off with it, and yeah. it's it's really easy to like it in this version. It it really really is. I agree. It um, yeah, it it works out really really well. Um, I mean, you know, when you started having listened to it ten times. You know, and certainly on, on these two songs, it, do you feel, 
I mean, did you get it right away, or do you feel differently about them today than you did the first time you went through this? Oh, um, I'm deeply connected to a couple of these vocal parts in Interior Lulu now. It's just inescapable. Love it. Love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, particularly, you know, the last two minutes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, we, we, we talked, and was it episode seven or something? Uh, you know, we talked about the part that you wait for. The brilliant chorus five minutes in. I called it the chestnut at the end. And that's yes. interior Lulu. Like, like I wish they would have started with the end. You know, it just, it just, it just could have. The, the end is so strong. It, 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 it could have been a lead-in. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the the beginning takes me to this um, uh, kind of creepy place, and it, it 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 it's a literary, you know, trick, and it's something that. Uh, Hogarth is really good at. Um, I'm, I, I, for some reason, you know, when he's describing, you know, the character with the teddy bears and the C.S. Lewis books, um, the Bad Seed, it, it, it's 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 great because it's such a stark image, and he's so quickly into the song, and he's got you hooked on seeing a picture. Uh, the, 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 the flip side to that is, um, you know, he's just some old man singing about, you know, some girl. And sometimes it's a little off. Sometimes it's a little weird. It's like, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I love, I love, I love Neverland, but, but sometimes, you know, the, 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 the Peter Pan and Wendy Im imagery is a little, you know, creepy, weird, just like this, this song is a little creepy, weird. And I don't know, you could take it back to, uh the party and like what's he singing about this this girl drinking beer and getting high in the backyard you know what i mean it's just like <laughs> yes yeah. okay all right all right we, we, we know you found all of the chicks out there who are partying it up and doing all the crazy weird stuff so uh no secret there not hiding it are you you know uh, so god bless him god bless you know h h is well, he's got his eye on the ball He's H is a rock star, no doubt about it. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. You know, no different than any of us, I suppose. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the imagery is bizarre, but um, uh, then once it segues and and to what in, looks like the real intention, you know, uh, we all want to be connected without actually touching. That's amazing. I'm hooked on the lyrics there. I can't get enough of it. And the last two minutes is such a tease like oh my god you made me wait so long for this yeah it, and it, it's amazing how like you said we, we you you go through five minutes of a song and you get to that like you said that little that chestnut and you're like yes payoff time and you know i don't know i don't know how many other bands i would be willing to you know sit through that much and, and it, I'm not going to say that it's nonsense, because it's not. It's just not necessarily as strong as where they wind up, you know? Yep. Yep, exactly. All right, so, so, so we, we embraced Interior Lulu, and uh, Tom should be proud. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, it's, I think it's great. So, I, I, you know, certainly the, the dot-com songs, I think, benefit from this, which is, which is cool. Um, out of this world, you know, I think, I think you sort of captured that, you know, in the fact that, 
and, and I think we talked about this on Afraid of Sunlight. It's it's just a great song. It's 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 beautiful. It's haunting. Um, what I find interesting about this is, and, and again, I haven't listened to this a whole lot, so I, I may be off on some of my observations here. But the the three different parts of the song that I identified back in the Afraid of Sunlight episode, I I don't think they're quite as differentiated here as they are there, or maybe they maybe they are. I don't know, but you know, I'm I'm ever since I sort of figured that out, I'm so attuned to that, and you know, I think when you look. Certainly, at, at the first half of this album, you know, these songs go, interior Lulu, you know, potentially disturbing imagery aside, out of this world, certainly, um, and, and the space, I, I, I'm not prepared to talk about wrapped up in time at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and even, even Quartz, uh, yeah, no, the space... It it illustrates that when Hogarth's lyrics are on, how good they can be. Because again, you have sort of the ability without everything else going on in the full rock band uh, milieu to be able to sort of pick out those those little nuggets maybe a little bit easier and 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 get closer to them, which I think is is spectacular. Um. There's a flip side to that, though. When you get to something like Heart is Love or If My Heart Were a Ball, It Would Roll Uphill, you know, when you get into these situations where the lyrics are just absurdly silly, it, mm. they, they come across even more absurd. In, Remind in me this. what album that is. When did Marillion do If My Heart Was a Ball? That's from Anarachnophobia. Yeah, I, I, I think I referred to that as um, the funky Rage Against the Hogarth period, where they yeah. were a little bit funky, a little bit metal, just a little bit goofy, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, you know, in hindsight, I love that song. Uh, uh, it, 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 yeah, it's just, you know, a little bit Chili Peppers or something going on there, just like... Um, finding a repetitive groove and then putting some bizarre lyrics over it. Um, you know, the, the screen works for me over and over again. Um, I would say that the, the, the closest neighbor to If My Heart Was a Ball um, would have to be Drilling Holes. Equally goofy. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely, that's that's a great catch. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they they are cut from the same cloth in a lot of different ways. And I, I know that when we talked about marbles, I had I was maybe a little less um, forgiving of of drilling holes than you guys were, but yeah, they are very similar. And yeah, so. So going back up into the album, um, wrapped up in time, you know, like I said, I 
having not listened to this a lot and, you know, having a tenuous grasp of happiness as it is, I, I don't have any personal recollections at this point. Uh, is there anything about that that speaks to you either way? Oh, sorry. Uh, say that again? It, just Wrapped up in time. Oh, oh, oh. Um, does it speak? Um, I find that song competes, is trying to compete with other things on the album. And uh, it's, oh, it's, it's, maybe they just couldn't find a good spot for it. But I, I feel like what's on either side of it overpowers the track itself. Did you get that? Well, and maybe maybe that's why I, I literally have no recollection of it right yeah. now. Yeah. But but you're right. I mean, looking at it, stuck in between out of this world and the space, that's a pretty tough <laughs> tough place to be in. Because, you know, both of those are like on my all-time Marillion list now. Um, right. The space, the space was probably the, the first Hogar song that, I absolutely positively fell in love with, um, you know, and I've seen them perform it a couple times and I, I I'm literally transcended every time I hear it. Um, so oh, any, any treatment of the space I can get my hands on, you know, I'm, I'm all for, and, you know, much like out of this world, I think, you know, that, that song, I find it to just be incredibly powerful and moving and I think, you know, there again, the lyrics, um, they, uh, I, I just, I find them so powerful and, and, and I just, I connect with that song. So mm -hmm. uh, this is one of the few that became almost two separate songs for me. Um, uh, the way I experienced less is more at this point is. At the end of out, out of This World, I wanted the end to be a full jam out. Um, so I was a little shaken off guard. What, what they do is they break it down, and then they bring in a drum beat, and, 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 and it ends, whereas on the album, it's all just that, that really spacious um, kind of synth background, while it's yeah. almost a cappella H. And they didn't necessarily have the luxury with an acoustic band of creating the floor the noise floor so instead they started off with acoustic guitar and they built it up and i i thought you know if the drums are only going to play for 20 seconds they might as well just play for that whole thing i i was really thrown off by that particular part of the arrangement and then like you said it's hard in the short you know three minutes of wrapped up in time to really settle into it and then they hit you with the space, and you're like, "Whoa!" Um, so it, it it it's it it's a ride, you know. It's 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 interesting how the song sequencing gets there. But then once I'm in the space, um, they start off with the piano trills, and then they break it down, right, into something more acoustic-y? I believe so. Yes. I, again, I'm not I'm not as familiar as I should be. Um, but I, I think that's the, the case. And, you know, it, it, the interesting thing about this for me was 
you know, again, with all this sort of space to work in, seeing how how Hogarth and I mean Hogarth is only he's credited with vocals on this, but I I know he's got to be playing some keys piano in there somewhere because Hogarth just doesn't not play keyboards. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. So it, I, I I sort of entertained myself with with thinking about you know which one was which as as we're in situations like this. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and, you know, you talk about the ride then to go from the space to Heart is Love, which, you know. Yeah. Uh, this. I know Heart is Love didn't get a lot of, of, of um, kudos on our Brave episode. I think this is a. Talk about unnecessary. I, I I think this was not a great choice <laughs> to do this like this and put it on here. Um, I, I I just, it didn't work for me at all. And, you know, again, it's one of those situations where when you've got Hogarth rhyming the word algebra, mm-hmm. and there's, there's, there's nothing around it to sort of distract you. It's just jarring. Well, is okay. Um, <laughs> I realized what I wanted to say about the space, but heart is love. Is that um, levity? Is it humor? And you know, do we do we uh, do it's tongue in cheek kind of? It's uh, it's man talk or it's uh, barroom talk. I, you know it. it, it would, would you want to go to a Marillion show without levity? You know, they always have something goofy. You know, why not this? I, I, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. And, you know, I, I, I think with that levity or part of that levity is, you know, the 80s rock band thing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so they took the defining feature out of this song <laughs> right and and all you're left with is is just you know and like i said i i don't know i i don't dislike hard as love i actually you know in in the flow of brave i think there are parts of it that you know can be a little bit powerful but but here it just it's like a complete non sequitur, and I, it just, I, I would not have, have done this. But, you know, what else from Brave, you know, could they have put here? Paper Lies is really the only other sort of discreet song, I think, that could have translated here. Mm, okay. So quickly go, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, um, uh, I was planning to bust Hard as Love on, you know, chord composition alone. Because uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like a modern show tune. It's just something very explosive about the, the, uh, the modulations between the verse and the chorus. They do it very yeah. well. It's just not 
a rock genre. It, it, it's it's more of you know something that I would expect to see like uh, you know '90s off Broadway kind of the the rent milieu. Uh, okay. You know they're they, they're taking chances with uh, the chords and the melodies there. It's it 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 it, it it's amazing for that genre. It doesn't play out necessarily so great with a a Brit neo prog rock band. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Uh, and that's what we pick up on. Um, uh, uh, th what I tried to say about the, the space a few minutes ago yeah. was was um, it's one of the, the few in this set that really is different from the original recording because the first verse um, has the, the, the dreaminess and the piano and whatnot, the first chorus, I suppose. But then when it gives way to a verse... It, it does like a 1960s beatnik, smoky back room kind of a, a jazz swing, if you check it out. Um, yeah. And so, something that I would find in a David Lynch movie. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it, it's very theatrical. I like it. it, it it's really cool. And that is a one spot where I can put my finger on an artistic change that really separated less is more from the original season's end. So, you know, and, and it's interesting that you bring up David Lynch because I have been, for the last couple of weeks, I have been, well, not, yeah, maybe a couple of weeks, I have been knee-deep into a super-duper geeked-out podcast on the latest Twin Peaks show on Showtime. I've heard of this. And, oh, it's so freaking good. And... It's you know I had I had watched religiously as it was being you know released over the summer so every Sunday night I would you know tune in and I mean eighteen hours of David Lynch sort of unshackled can be a lot to sort of digest and and there, I knew full well there was a lot of it I just didn't get so I started casting around for a podcast um, there was one I had listened to and oddly enough they. They weren't particularly in-depth, and they never did the last episode. So I had to find another one, and I found this one, and it's it's just been spectacular. I mean, these guys are way deep into it. And, um, and yeah, they, they do talk about, you know, the way David Lynch views music and how he uses it in his films. So, you know, I, I think that's, that's really cool that you bring that up. And, and that was one of the things that I did... You know that that sort of picks or stuck out at me with this album is this. You know this, and and what I think is so cool about all of this, and why, despite my initial reaction to not like some of these things, is I think it's cool that Marillion wants to play around with different things, and I, I can remember. You know, you guys used to do this all the time. You you know, I don't know. You you break into a reggae version of YYZ or something like that, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I just, you know, I, I, and again, like, and you also mentioned this, at this point, you know, we're invested in Marillion. We're, we're along for the ride wherever it goes, and I'm happy to, to give them sort of the space to try out, you know, things and, and see where it goes. So I, yeah, I, but it, at first blush, it's like, well, why are they doing that? And then by the time it's done, you're like, oh, that's why they were doing that. Yeah, 
I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it really progressed. This version of the space captures the darkness in the lyrics. In the electric version, you can pretend that the character is all right and just kind of rock it on out. It's undeniable mm-hmm. in the acoustic version how kind of you know disturbed the life is. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, so it got me much, much deeper into the story. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, also, and also into that theatrical David Lynch mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we've talked about we've talked about H before being very theatrical, um, in in certain cases. So really, yeah, I think so. That, yes, it, it makes it makes perfect sense. Love it, love it. So we go from that to hard is hard is love, and then from that into quartz. Now quartz is one of those songs from Anarachnophobia that I like anyway. And, okay, you go. Um, you know, so so here again. I think I think the songs from Anarachnophobia having certain limitations in the original for whatever reason. And, you know, I, I just, I'm happy to sort of explore, you know, again, these, these different places with these songs. And, and I think, you know, fundamentally... If you have what amounts to a good song and you sort of reimagine it in a way that is is different but still true to the original song, it's going to be good, right? And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say that this is better, but I do certainly enjoy it. Yeah, um... Quartz always strikes me. Uh, it, it, it's it's um, a negative vibe, but it's delivered in a in, in a pretty thoughtful way. And he kind of meticulously goes through this relationship. I don't know if quartz has something to do with. Uh, a watch or a watch materials and the clock like nature of it all. Um, yeah. So, so quartz is what runs modern watches. Right. Right. Okay. And this relationship is kind of like clockwork, <laughs> but, well, I guess, but it's also got tension. Well, yeah, I yeah. guess, you know, I'm, the the chorus is I'm clockwork and you're quartz, right? So presumably the idea is, um, you know, she puts him in motion, you know, and and he has to do what he's sort of built to do, so to speak, you know. Oh has, yeah, yeah, been there, sure. Yeah, I think we've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not. You know, it's not a particularly happy song, um, and, and but it it I don't think it necessarily comes across as overly bitter. If that's kind of what I'm going exactly, for. exactly. That's that's the key to this whole thing. 
get, getting the message through without leaving the fans, you know, too spent on the bitterness. You know, and, and I, you know, if, if Tom were here, we could get into this, but I had made, you know, sort of the comment, and this may have changed, and it probably has changed over the years, but certainly, you know, Young Fish throughout the first four albums, you know, he didn't have that ability, I think. Um, oh, the unbridled negativity, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and sure. I, I need I need to spend more time with uh, with with Modern Fish. I think I think he had softened that a lot, even in you know the early part of his solo career. But you know when he was a Marillion, and and he was you know we were all angry young man men. I get that. Um, but but Hogarth. And again, we haven't seen Hogarth as the angry young man, but in the time that we have spent with Steve Hogarth from, what, 1989 or whatnot, he has shown himself as a lyricist to be very adept at this sort of, this sort of treatment of, of this sort of subject matter. Um, and, and, you know, obviously he's only gotten better, and, and so Quartz, you know, relatively, you know, late in the career, what, 12 years after he had joined the band, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it, it's sort of an advanced example of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If my heart were a ball, we kind of already talked on that. Um, it's not your fault. Previously unreleased. We've got nothing to compare it to. So, um, I, th- it works. It's there. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it, it's funny in that, you know, the one song that, that exists only here in and of itself is almost unremarkable because, you know, we don't have any, any framework with which to compare it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So we can't, we're, we're powerless. Our exercise is powerless. I feel like our, our, our Jedi powers just move on. <laughs> we've, we've got nothing to do here. Um, and, and, and part of the reason why my Jedi powers have, have, you know, nothing to do here is because I can't wait to get to these last three songs. Oh, okay. This, the, the end of this album, I find fascinating. Um, simply because, you know, here, I, I like a lot memory of water and, I, I think I love this is the 21st century uh, in its original form. And so, you know, here again, you know, there's something about the, the melody and the lyrics of 21st century that I just, you know, every time I hear it, it, it gives me kind of goosebumps. And, you know, I, I think both of these are, again, another example of, and we should go back and check to make sure that Hogarth actually wrote the lyrics here. But I think these are great examples of Steve dealing with, you know, subject matter in in a way that is palatable. Um, even though there, you know, there are parts of Memory of Water that kind of freak me out. Okay. Um, I love 21st Century. That is where my focus was at the end of this. 
Uh -huh. um, memory of water comes up. Um, I've heard you mention it even more so. Paul has mentioned it. And it is literally water to me. I just sip it down and forget about it. <laughs> it just goes right through you? <laughs> yeah, it goes right through me. I, I, I barely barely recollect what it was. So you'll, you'll have to share that with me, what that experience is. Yeah, so, you know, there's... And, it, and it's fascinating. And I, I don't listen to it much, but, you know, Tom has mentioned the, um, the remix album of of this strange engine um what is it i forget tales from the engine room or something like that um oh yeah it, they were all about it, it today yeah and and i want to say it was done with um what the guys were called the guiding light or something like that um i actually have a copy of it i don't listen to it all that often but Memory of Water, that particular remix version, is one of the ones that sticks with me. And so Memory of Water is, is kind of haunting because you're always... The, the line that sticks with you is, I wonder if my rope's still hanging. Um, something about from the... From some kind of a tree um, by the pool of water where you first drank me. Which... I mean, and, and maybe I'm totally wrong on this, but, you know, the impression that I've always had from that is, you know, rope still hanging. Some guy got hung from a tree and his spirit is still around, you know, this area um, somehow. Well, no, it wouldn't be there because he'd know if his rope was hanging. But it, it, it has that sort of, you know, spirit aspect to it but it, it it's really kind of creepy um because i don't know it and and what gets me is by the pool of water where you first drank me it's like what the hell does that mean that just that whole phrasing just kind of freaks me out um and then when you get the remix version there's it, it oh and, and i wish tom were here because there's there's a lot that goes into that um, in, in terms of the snare pattern that just sort of drives that thing. Mm. And, and it really, you know, it, it ramps the whole thing up a notch. Um, so it, it's really, really very cool. And so that's, yeah, you know, it just, it, that song haunts me, but I can't quite piece it all together, which I think is why I keep going back to it because I, I want to figure it out and I just haven't been able to. You know, I've got the lyrics up, and, and, and I'm convinced that it's not just the music, that the, the lyrics are a reason why I, I, I didn't spend time on it. I just, I just couldn't latch on to it. Um, yeah, and the, the site songmeetings.com hasn't weighed in yet. And, uh, really? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a that tends to be a rather busy site. It's got a good, I feel like, 15 years behind it in some of these submissions, if I remember correctly. Uh, but but maybe, you know, in the prog genres, maybe it's not the, the first place where people, where people go. But it is a bit odd that something like this would have not even a single comment on it. <laughs> you know? 
that that does seem odd. So yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, um, and um, go ahead. It is interesting though that this is a Marillion dot dot com song. Um, it's from uh, the so, so, so so you know you, you've been critical of Marillion.com. Did did they finally get this one right at least in this go around? No, because this is from this strange engine. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. Thanks for correcting me. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I'm no. sorry. I was reading the 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 Google entry for this particular song on the Merlion site. Okay. Oh, so, there you go. So just 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 one of those places where Merlion.com <laughs> functions more as a site name than an album name. Okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, so we you know we can we can sort of invite all of our listeners to to go out and and spend some time contemplating the lyrics for Memory of Water. And so now there you know we've got three different versions here. We've got the Guiding Light version. We have the original This Strange Engine version, and now we have this version. And wow. um, everyone can figure out which one they like best. I know that Tom would pick the Guiding Light. I probably would as well. But this is solid. And then, you know, 21st century, um, anything you have to say about that? Um, it, it's interesting that they would put um, Interior Lulu and 21st Century on the same album because aren't they both commentaries on similar things, whereas 21st Century is telling us that, uh, you know, science has replaced um, some of the uh, romance and emotion in our lives. Yes. And Interior Lulu is explaining how we're, you know, uh, sanctioned off from each other in the fact that we're stuck on the web in front of our screens. Yeah, so, it, and, and, I mean, yeah, absolutely right. Um, now, I want to say that there is a redemptive ending to 21st century. Um because I was listening to that, I, I was listening to, to Remix Atosis today, and 21st Century shows up at least once, if not twice, in, in that particular album. So I was spending some time with it, and I want to say that my, my thinking is there's sort of a redemptive ending in 21st Century where we'll, for lack of a better phrase, our protagonist ends up declaring that there is still magic. I, I want to say that's the case. So, you know, all of this sort of, um, you know, scientific, you know, overwhelming of, of the, the magic of, of the world is, is, I think, ultimately rejected. I don't honestly know enough about the lyrics of Interior Lulu to know if there's anything like that there or if it's just a, a straight, you know... Right, straight negative commentary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I've actually got um, this section of twenty first up on on the screen. Um, he says, "Would you want to have kids growing up into what's left of this?" She shook her head. She said, "Can't you see? The world is you. The world is me. It, it's very redemptive. You hit the nail on the yeah. head." Yeah. Yeah, and. and and I don't know that I had really picked up on as many times as I was, as I've listened to that song and I loved it. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times 
I'll enjoy music almost by instinct, if you will. I'll feel certain things without necessarily knowing how or why. And I think this was one of those cases. So when I sort of picked up on that today, I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's awesome. And, you know, so there you go. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I'm on board with that. You know, that that tune carried me through the end of it. It was just, it was perfect. So let's talk about the hidden bonus track. Okay. Now... And and it's funny when I when I was when I was doing the the post production on the Afraid of Sunlight um, episode, it, that episode kind of comes across like I'm bagging on Cannibal Surf Babe, and I don't know that I ever intended to, um, but everyone seemed to think that I had this sort of you know beef with with that particular song. And so having it show up here was very, very interesting for me. <laughs> okay. Because I was like, I, you know, I was, I, I've been sort of walking around carrying this, this question of, do I really hate Cannibal Surf Babe for the last couple of months? Right, right. And, 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 and now I'm, I'm sort of forced at the very end of this very interesting journey to come face to face with it in, you know, what is by all accounts a a very different song in a very different environment altogether yeah very different and and i i i don't know what how i feel okay but but i figured you guys were were so high on cannibal surf babe that i was very interested and keen to to talk about this um you know, here in this setting. So, yeah, I, I don't know. You know what what your thoughts thoughts are on on this you know hidden bonus track here. It is a little weird. Um, if if you if you look purely at the original Afraid of Sunlight version of Cannibal Surf, babe, and if you kind of look at that in the lens of sounds that can't be made, you know, where they're, they're achieving certain sounds. It's a little risky for them to go back and redo Cannibal Surf Babe because the original intention was let's make a Beach Boys song. Like, let's, let's use, you know, a theremin or let's use, like, you know, this little wonky little organ or whatever it is it gets us these hip you know sounds and uh, um, there are things on sounds that can't be made that I don't think that they will ever do acoustically you know (laughs) it's like oh yeah you know forget the original intention now Cannibal Surf Babe has outlived it's it, it it's creation, and we just like it for the uh, for the melody and the story now. And and fortunately, it's really strong, and it does it does it does hold up that way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, so that, that... It, it, I, I I prefer when they end their albums on something huge, monstrous, and compelling. You know, rather than. Boogie Woogie Dance Beat, 
so you know i like i like this near the end but i still wanted something orgasmic after it and and why would you not yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> or I don't so, wanted to hear 3,000 drunk people singing Easter. Either way, you know. So, it, you know, it, for me, it's just, I, I I enjoyed the journey. Again, I this album's been out for, what, eight years at this point? And I had never really contemplated it. So, um, and it... I didn't really know what to expect. It was, it was much cooler than. I mean, you remember back in what was it, the the mid '90s or whatever, when the the acoustic craze came in, and everyone did their MTV Unplugged show, and and it was just, you know, it was just everything played straight on an acoustic guitar or whatnot. And I mean, that was. That was cool for about 10 minutes. But I think here, you know, and again, it goes back to the fact that I think Marillion are exceptional musicians who understand, you know, how to construct a song and, you know, how to, in this case, perhaps manipulate a song. And so they're able to take things that are good, present them differently and they're still very good, and it's not—it's not just a you know a, a straightforward, um, a straightforward translation. You know, they they brought something else to the table as opposed to just changing the instruments they were playing it on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, there's another example of that because the other thing, and and this ties into you know, some of the yes stuff that we haven't gotten to, you know, there was, there was also there, I think there has been throughout time, sort of this, this love affair of orchestral, orchestral treatments of pop songs. Um, you know, pops orchestras do this all the time. And, um, you know, though my, even my dad of all people had a vinyl record of orchestral Beatles songs. Um, and, Again, back in the, the mid-90s, yes, after the Union Tour, Bruford and Howe went and did an orchestral album of Yes music, and it was extraordinarily straightforward. So basically, you know, imagine, you know, the keyboard and, and bass parts played by an orchestra is, is how it, it broke down. And at the same time, there was a, a pair of guys, and they were they were part of some sort of like famous electronic group. I think I, I'd have to go back and look at it. But they did an orchestral an album of orchestral Pink Floyd, but rather than just straight adapting it, they actually arranged the music. You know, and, and they sort of reworked it specifically for an orchestra. And it was so much more moving because you still had, you know, the recognizable structures of the songs, mm -hmm. but it came across in such a cool way. So, 
you know, I think I think this when I when I contemplate this album, that's sort of the feeling I get about it. You know, someone who again understands how to how to do this and did it very very well. I, I still would like to know why they did it. Um, ah, well said, though. Well said. Um, yeah, maybe they you know had a couple of these gigs that we didn't know about. Um, or, you know, this is what they do for birthday parties. We don't know what they, <laughs> what they do, <laughs> you know, when, when, when they, when they have a, a quick one-off, um, yeah, maybe, sure. maybe this is how it comes out, you know? Uh, yeah. So when we, when we get to interview Hogarth, we'll have to ask him this because I'm, <laughs> I'm very curious. <laughs> what do you do for your friend's birthday parties? Tell us. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, there's only so, uh, I, you know, and I think Paul had suggested that, you know, we should, we should pitch this as, you know, wanting to interview Hogarth about his, uh, his whole happiness is the road thing, um, you know, and, and the various songs leading up to um, the levers that sort of discuss the various aspects of, of life on the road. Um, but we can make this sort of our follow-up question. Oh. After, after we get through the heavy stuff, we can we can go to less is more and, and see see where we're at. Well, well I right, suggest so, they they should rename this band instead of being um, H Natural. It should be M K T T R H Natural. <laughs> that covers all of their last names and and different, differentiates the music so that the fans are not suddenly surprised. That's right. We, we uh, you know, I'm sure there are some hardcore people who'd be like, what? What is this? Exactly. Yeah. So, so Ken, I am, I'm impressed with ourselves, just two of us, and we still managed to go for an hour on this album. We, we, we bloviate. I think, I think we bloviate consistently. Um, for this one, we uh, tip our hat to this gentleman, who, Patrick, who, who put some wind in our sails and suggested we get this done. It helps. Yeah. It really helps, yeah. So and uh, so, I, I like I said, I had wanted to talk about besides themselves. Um, I could blow through that very quickly, and just kind of because I, I think besides themselves, it, it's almost a situation where it's it's so good. There's not much that needs to be said. <laughs> well, I'll warm my ginger tea, and you you can go. I'm not familiar with this album, but I'll I'll be I'll be listening full heartedly. All right. Well, well, and be sure you come back because I need your I need your input on this whole remix thing after we get there. I hear you. So, besides themselves, you know, it was fun. One of the reasons why I wanted to to cover this album was because I had it, and um, you know, it's 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 a list. It's a compilation of all of not all of them, but I guess most of the B sides that were released on singles through the fish era. And it's, you know, a lot, of, I've, I've bought several of these B-side type compilations in, in my life, but this particular collection is, is remarkable in how strong it really, really is. Um, and listening to it, you know, it was, it was a blast because, you know, we did the fish albums so long ago um, in terms of of actual time from from where we are today, and we've spent you know there's well if fear is the 18th album, 
that uh, the 18 studio album that means there are 14 Hogarth albums and four Fish albums. So we've spent a lot of time talking about Hogarth Marillion. And it was really, really cool to sort of go back to the beginning and and hear Fish's voice and hear some of the, you know, the the 80s prog rock thing. Um, it was it was very, very enjoyable. So I'll just roll through this quickly um, so that we can cover it. Are you now, implying this could be our last Marillion episode? Well, no, say it isn't so. <laughs> I mean, if if we if we end up and, and I still don't know yet if we end up splitting the fear episode into two because it is almost a full two hours in and of itself, this would end up being episode ten. Now, at some point, I would like to actually start releasing yes out or yes episodes. So, <laughs> yeah. okay. So the album starts with Grendel, which is, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, prog rockers like to geek out over the 17-minute song, and, and here was here was Marillion's um, Marillion's uh, um, take on on that particular genre. It's you know it's it's got everything an 80s prog rock person would want. You know, it's got the uh, sort of the overly complex song structure. It has Fish in his, you know, uber theatric um, delivery of, of, you know, very sort of all over the place lyrics, um, takes you places. Um, it's got all of the, the right sort of instrument sounds and everything else. But I do remember when we were talking about script, you know, we the very first... One of the very first things ever said on Progressive Palaver, Paul came right out of the gate and started bagging on the drum sound. Well, if you want to talk about a drum sound, listen to this version of Grendel, because, wow, <laughs> it is really, really something. But that being said, Grendel is special in the Marillion canon, and, you know, I think... I think for what it is, it holds up extraordinarily well, and I very much enjoyed listening to it several times over the last few days. Wow. The next song up is Charting the Single, which is, you know, I, I wrote down here, it seems like a sketch and very tentative songwriting. So I think Charting the Single is, is an example of a band trying to figure out how to write a song. That's how it comes across to me. It sounds like, you know, very deliberate. Um, it, it's not bad, but it's not moving in any way, shape, or form. And then um, then it goes into Market Square Heroes, which is, it, it's just, it's a perfect anthem. And my understanding, I guess, based on some of the, uh, well... I'll say based on Marillion's Reel to Reel, which was their first live album released after Fugazi. Um, I want to say that, you know, Market Square Heroes was was for a time Marillion's Roundabout. It was their encore song and they would just go to town on it. And so, like I said, it's 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 the perfect anthem. Um the, the keyboards in this are perfect, again, from an 80s you know, neo-prog rock thing. If I were um, a song, I would rather be Marillion's Roundabout 
than uh, Merlion's Owner of a Lonely Heart. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <You know? laughs> Damn, Ken. That is harsh. It's it's that no. ending. It's that ending of Owner of a Lonely Heart. It's a little bit like a game show saga. I don't know. Just kind of. <laughs> it just kind of went two minutes too long, man. So, yeah, take me back to the good good old days. Take me back to Roundabout, and I'll be a happy man. Okay. Now I do give Fish bonus points here for using the the phrase Antichrist in a song. Because, you know, that's, that takes some doing. And there's also, um, there's, there's a, a part in here where Fish gets this sort of, it's, it's almost a screechy growl. And he, he tells us, I'll provide your anger. We march. Which is just wow. spectacular. I love it. Um, So and, and I did note down here. I asked if if Market is a a precursor to White Russian and Uzis on a street corner. So that's something we'll have to ask Paul about um, at this at some point. That would his be his domain of expertise, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Hang on, just hold that thought. I'll be right back. Thor's got to go out. So next up is um, the spectacular. Three boats down from the candy. I wrote one word here. All caps with an exclamation point. Perfect. Uh, I just, I've always loved this song. Um, and it's got a great guitar solo, too. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's just something about three boats that works for me. Cinderella Search is um it's got a sweet piano break in there and it's it's a it's a i wrote down it's a nice example of uh misplaced childhood era marillion um it you know it it gives you i gosh i hope having said that i hope that it's from that era and not it doesn't sound fugazi-ish at all but well three boats uh was originally released as the b-side of market square heroes 1982 oh. wow really there yeah. you go but but then um apparently the version on b-sides is actually from the b-side of punch and judy 1984 there you go Wow, and Cinderella Search was on the B-side of Assassin. That is amazing. Because Cinderella Search is nothing like Assassin. Nothing at all. That's great. And and so then I guess the next two are from from Misplaced Childhood, Lady Nina and Freaks. So Lady Nina, you know, you've got to love Fish writing a love song to a prostitute. Uh, and I think that's very, very consistent with because there's there's the um, the Leon section of of misplaced childhood that deals with a, a prostitute as well, and and freaks, um, you know, freaks is 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 kind of a funny little song, but you do have to sort of give props to a song that that gave a name to a group's fans, so. You know, take that. Oh, okay. And then um, it, it finishes up with with 
Tux On, which was the B-side of Sugar Mice. I love this album. I think this is a, or this song, I think this is a great example of, of where Fish can get his lyrics right. Um, you know, while Fish didn't always temper the emotions that he was providing you, he really could just bring you into sort of these these bleak areas. And, you know, the it, it's very easy to see what he's trying to show you here. It's not it's not so straightforward that it's boring, but it it does communicate what he's trying to get you across. And um, yeah, so Margaret, the live version here, um, according to the thing, was a, the B-side of Garden Party. I know Paul loves Garden Party. The thing I noted about Margaret is it's got, you know, it's a live version and it has Fish introducing the band. And who's on this but one Mick Pointer. So oh. you, don't get a whole lot of, you don't get a lot of Mick Pointer love in, right. in this. So that was that was kind of cool. So all that being said, um, I, like I said, I have always found B-sides themselves to be a very, very enjoyable record. And it, it really does play like a record, um, like a, a full album, and not so much like a bunch of stuff that was cobbled together and, and thrown out, which is really kind of impressive given you know the breadth of, of time and, and capability that this covers. Now, and and we've already talked a long time, so I want to sort of wrap this up. But the other thing that I I, I listened to for this was Remix Atosis, which is the remix version of Anarachnophobia. Do you know anything about this whole remix thing or how it works? Because I, <laughs> no, no. I, no. I, do, I don't understand it, and I've always been fascinated by it. I've had three experiences with, with remixes. Two with Marillion, one this album, and Tales from the Engine Room, and then a, a different band altogether. And well, I, I have remix phobia. Remixes were happening in early digital, you know, when I learned about digital audio, and... Um, I developed a phobia to taking somebody else's stuff and messing with it because it would just never be right. It just, you know, somebody would either criticize my remix or it just wouldn't be quite in time. And then I noticed that it was the cool thing for people just to make all kinds of stuff that was all clippy. The edits were bad. It didn't sound like it was in time, but nobody cared. And <laughs> and um, I I I I I I I um, uh, I realized that there that there are there are so many remixes out there, and everybody's got a reason to do one or the other. And then there are only like you know. 30 people in the world that actually do it like really well and it's not even worth competing with those folks because they're just obsessive compulsive and they do everything perfectly and you barely know it's a remix because it sounds like it's its own song and then once i saw how how high the bar was i i i, I knew that was not a game to be played lightly so so when you talk about that though the idea is that 
I mean, do, do, do they have the access to the individual tracks, or are they using the final mix and, and dorking with it? Or do, do they have the separate tracks and they twist them all up to do different things? I mean, they're... I guess what um, I'm asking... Yeah, is, um, uh, a perfect example in the late 90s, David Bowie did something where he made all the samples available of a certain song such that, you know, creators could rearrange the pieces. So that that standard was set pretty early on where, you know, if you want a good product, you you do, you know, make the individual tracks available and you can go crazy and do it, you know, to the public and see what people come up with or usually what happens is just to your your preferred artist. But yeah, 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 you discreetly offer multi-track source. Okay, and, and, and then you can take those, those multi-tracks and in addition to remixing them, you can also process them so that they sound different and all that kind of nonsense, right? I mean, that, that's how this whole thing works. But, but the idea behind a remix is there, there isn't or shouldn't be any parts of it that are sort of re-recorded, right? Well said. Well said. There's a certain ethic there where there's some integrity to the original. Okay. Because I just, you know, when I, when I listen, you know, and again, songs from Anarachnophobia are, you know, it's interesting because when I listen to these, these remixes, and Marillion apparently, you know, is, is totally on board with this because they've done it twice now sort of officially and it's it's almost like someone taking a bunch of you know let's just let's just say you 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 somehow get your hands on a bunch of of picasso paintings and you cut them up and you make a collage out of it you know so it it you can see that there are you know, Picasso parts in there, but the end product feels totally different. And it it's interesting to me that they they support this and they're into this. Um, and some right, of them... Work your analogy is inherently kind of sacrilegious. You're, you're, you're taking something with a high value and doing all, all kinds of risky, bizarre things with it and not necessarily getting art at the end. Well, and, 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 and I would, and that's one of the things that I've been struggling with as I've been listening to this album. Is this, is this, you know, artistic expression or not? I, you know, it's, it's not, I don't know. And, and then maybe this is too far off, off the field. Um, I just, I, I, I've struggled with this and, um, you know, we'll have to sit down. Maybe we'll have another dinner conversation sometime with Tom since he likes the uh, Tales from the Engine Room so much. but I, What I just, made you listen to it in the first place? I, I, I have no idea. I don't even know why I own this, Ken. Were, were, were you looking for a train wreck? Is it like the people who want to see a boat going 300 miles an hour on water? You, you, know, you know why I bought this? I bought this because Tales from the Engine Room is so good. That's why. Oh, okay. And I want to say I heard about Tales from the Engine Room 
when we were at the Marillion weekend. Um, I want to say that's I, it was somewhere around there, and I bought it, and it was really, really good. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. And I, I don't exactly remember when I bought Remixitosis, but... It was one of those things where, you know, you have a good experience and you're like, well, let's go back for some more. But Remix Atosis is not Tales from the Engine Room. So, there you go. Oh, I've been warned. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if... <laughs> I, and, and, and it may be worth it for you to, to check out Tales. Just, you know, because you seem to have some pretty strong feelings about this. And and I love and, this strange and, engine as a as a, as a, as a track, um, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so you, you might want to you might want to check that out and and see if you know because I I know that I'm not I'm not in a position to discern you know necessarily good from bad in this, but you may be in a position to do that. God, you can't end our last Marillion episode on remixatosis. I just I just <laughs> feel like. I just, oh my God! It sounds like it's it's a it's a it's it's something in the back of our throats. We 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 we, we got a, a remix of Tosis and we just fell ill and we ended the podcast right there. Um, I can uh, I can edit this out and put it like before besides themselves. Nah, <laughs> I'm determined to have one more. We are going to wear English football jerseys, drink ale. And just bang our heads to this um, Size Matters album. That's it's it, it, it's oh, our. Oh God, we need to talk about Size Matters. Well, I, I'm not pre- I'm not I'm not prepared for it. But 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 I I, I think I think it, it's a group activity that just involves a lot of yelling and and, and alcohol. So we'll we'll, ah. we'll we'll see if we can make something of this. Okay. Okay. That that is the challenge. So so for those of you listening at home. This will not be the Palaver's last Marillion episode. Thank we, goodness. Uh, we, we, we promise to come back at some point um, and deal with, with size matters. And apparently alcohol needs to be involved. And so we will, we will make that happen. And um, yeah, so that will be spectacular. Ken? Perfect. Job I, well I, done, I, sir. Job well done. I certainly appreciate your time here this evening, and uh, you know, hopefully, our comrades have have completed their work and uh, are feeling better. And so, next time, um, we will have the the more or less full crew. All right, perfect. Thank you, Joseph. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. Cheers. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Progressive Palaver. We certainly enjoy um, sharing our thoughts with you and look forward to getting your feedback on our thoughts and comparing notes. So as always, we are available on Twitter. You can tweet us at progpala. We have email at uh, progpala at gmail.com. We are available on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, all of those at Progressive Palaver. And um, the episodes themselves are available on both iTunes and Google Play, and we are posted on SoundCloud. So please look for us there as well. We thank you so much, and we look forward to 
um, eventually coming back to Marillion, as, as Ken suggests. And in the meantime, look forward to the upcoming episodes on the first part of the Yes Catalog. <laughs>